Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 136, the August 1980 issue released May 20th of 1980. And this one is titled Child of Light and Darkness. You're a child! On the cover of this issue is a very sad, anguished Cyclops holding <laughs> holding a passed out or dead Dark Phoenix. Uh, Storm looks particularly sad too. She does. Everybody does. Colossus does. Yeah, Wolverine's covering his, his eyes. In the background, you also have Jean's parents, whose names completely escape me. Mr. and Mrs. Gray. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, the professor, his his hands or his head is buried in his hands as well. But you know what I really like about this cover? What? The title is still reeling from Jean Gray's assault of last issue's cover. Do you think that's what it is? Like it's literally hearkening back to that? Yeah, I totally think that's what it is. Oh my. Uh, if that, yeah, I guess you're right. That's 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 the area in which she grabbed. That's pretty yeah. cool. That is, that's good. Does the title continue to mend, or is it mend, mended? It's mended after this. I think it's mended after this. <laughs> All right. So let's just jump right in here. This is the special issue containing more shocks and surprises than ever before. I got to be honest. I, I think that's a little misleading. <laughs> I mean, this is a great issue. Don't get me wrong, but there's really not that much shocking and surprising especially with the tagline of than ever before. Well, they kind of give it all away in the title when they air on the cover when they say the final phase of the phoenix. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. That's that's your shock and surprise right there. Huh. All right, well, let's just jump right into this thing. It is uh, written and co-plotted by Chris Claremont and John Byrne, who also serves as the penciler. Inked by Terry Austin, lettered by Tom Warzachowski, colored by Glennis Ween, edited by Jim Sallykrupp, and edited by or editor in chief is still Jim Shooter. We get a kind of lame splash opening of Jean Grey, kind of engulfed in a giant pink phoenix, which is looks like it's eating another sun. Adam, I wish that this phoenix effect was colored yellow and orange. It would have made more sense to me. Agreed. <laughs> but it's not. And yes, I don't know, is this like kind of a recreation of her devouring the sun? I assume it's just a, a flashback to what happened last issue. Because I don't, I don't think she's devouring another sun. Yeah. So we flash our attention over to the Imperial Center the ruling seat of the galactic uh, of a galactic empire located halfway across the known universe and there's a bunch of aliens in the panel and gladiators there if you remember him the mohawk guy yes the what is he the, the queen's royal guardian the queen's royal mohawk man <laughs> every queen needs one it's true uh, they all say, uh, Phoenix is going to the home world. And I believe that this guy who is saying that Phoenix is going to the home world is a Xenox. Maybe. His face looks very Xenoxian, but he, he looks like he has like stretcho arms. He's also the guy that gives the briefing, right? Yeah. Hmm. So I don't know. There's been a lot of callbacks to 
uh, some of those early X-Men issues. So it wouldn't surprise me if these guys are in fact supposed to be, this guy actually is supposed to be a Xenox. Anyways, uh, they're showing off some vid tapes or whatever you want to call them about the Phoenix and what she did um, and how the Phoenix has a power that is even more uh, significant than Galactus's and apparently she's hungrier than Galactus. And that's pretty hungry. That <laughs> is really hungry. This Xenoxian looking guy, his name is Tux Ihimin. He begins the briefing. Many Bostons died to bring us this information. <laughs> yeah. So a little retelling of what happened. The Dabari star, uh, she came in a matter of seconds, turned it to supernova, and then she left, and she destroyed our most advanced star cruiser. What are we going to do? Lilandra, who uh, recalls that the phoenix that she met was a young Terran female named Jean Grey, um, and she and the X-Men had helped stop her and her brother from unleashing Armageddon. I would like to point out that there is an alien xenomorph at the table. <laughs> Shut up, there is. That's awesome. And they better worry about they better they better be kind of worried about this. Why he and he doesn't look proportionally the right size. It's like a baby xenomorph. He's totally going to like go on a killing spree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I was that slug guy over there, I'd be nervous. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um so Lander decrees that the Phoenix must be destroyed. Which cuts us to uh, back to Earth on, uh, at uh, Avengers Mansion, a mansion known throughout the world. Or I guess... That's what it no, says. I, I suppose this is the White House. I take it back. But the White House is calling uh, oh, the yeah. Avengers Mansion. Only the president can activate it. And then, only in times of gravest danger, I've never heard it sounded in earnest, says Jarvis. I pray this is only another test. Mr. Jarvis! <laughs> I don't do a very good Jimmy Carter. I understood that Avenger was always supposed to be on monitor duty. I've been calling for uh, some time without response. An energy force of unknown origins, but considerable power is approaching Earth. Yeah, so somehow he just loses his accent there. <laughs> if this is some extraterrestrial tech, I want the Avengers ready to deal with it. Yes, sir, I'll assemble them at once. And even Jarvis comments that Master Beast was on monitor duty. There's no sign of a struggle, so I doubt he was kidnapped, but no message from him either. What happened to him? Where could he have gone? Uh, spoilers, the Avengers do not help in this issue at all. Stupid Avengers. Not sure why we needed that panel. The next panel is Answer the Beast Answering Cyclops' Secret Call for Help. What? There was yeah, no secret call for help. <laughs> Beast saw some disturbance over at the Hellfire Club, realized it was the X-Men, and decided to check it out. Yeah, but... Man, that took you so so long to say. <laughs> okay, that didn't happen. Maybe, maybe it was uh, it was Cyclops's secret call for help alert. <laughs> oh, sure, that could be. Well, whatever. He's uh, he's tinkering with his feet and his hands as he does. Cyclops is such a great leader that he knew Beast would be on avenging monitor duty. <laughs> So he decided to have the team act out in a way that would cause the police to ring the Avengers. That's why it's a secret call for help. <laughs> it's amazing. They worked this out years ago in the danger room. Yep. This is uh, this is uh, G12. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so uh, Beast creates a mnemonic scrambler. Slap this on Jeannie's head and she shouldn't be able to think a coherent thought, much less read minds or throw telekinetic bolt force bolts. Good work, Beast. Storm is standing over by them and she's concerned and she would like to help him. But Cycle. I. Just a sec, Storm. But he's thinking to himself about how he can't open his deadly eyes. Blah, 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 blah. But look at it. I can't open my eyes, even the tiniest fraction, until I put on my special ruby quartz glasses. Or my optic blast could punch a truck-sized hole in the wall. Or blow out some candles. One of those. <laughs> Whichever I'm choosing to do at that time. Look at his glasses, though. Why, why do they look like they're falling apart? Um, they've seen some wear. Oh, okay. He needs a new pair. <laughs> so he throws his glasses on and he keeps thinking to himself that he has had to be careful since he, before he joined the X-Men. And he'll have to be careful until the day that he dies or gets the Phoenix Force and learns how to control his abilities. One of the two. Anyways, uh, Storm wants to help, but he can't let his guard down. He can't give in. He has to rein his feelings in or else he'll shatter for his sake, for Gene's sake, and everyone else's sake. He's got to stay in control. And apparently he doesn't realize it, but he's speaking out loud because Beast is looking at him like, oh? what? <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> I know you've been crazy, but you're really crazy right now. Meanwhile, the other three X-Men, Colossus, uh, Wolverine, and Nightcrawler, are in the danger room. And they are exercising with the Super Spanner. I haven't seen the Super Spanner for a while. No. Well, this is new. You remember the Spanner. This is a oh. super version of that Spanner. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they concoct a quick little plan to take out a couple of the arms and destroy the Spanner or something like that. In my mind, and I understand that we are not the brains of the X-Men, that there is nothing we can do right now. But wait. Is Storm and Cyclops are the brains of the X-Men and plus Beast? Yep. I mean, Beast is the only one doing something. <laughs> well, Cyclops is, like, standing over some control buttons and Storm's, Storm's caring for him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where the professor is. Is he still in New Mexico or... No, he's flying to the mansion as we speak, right? Right, right. Yeah, so they're the brains. These guys are apparently the brawn. Um, that Wolverine, I have smashed the spanner's motor. Beautiful, P. All I have to do is extend my retractable, unbreakable adamantium claws, jam the gears, and bingo! Another big bad danger room contraption bites the dust. Uh, this is obviously somebody's first issue. <laughs> Every issue could always be somebody's first issue. And then this... All I have to do is extend my retractable, unbreakable adamantium claws that connect down to my adamantium-laced skeleton, which I am only able to have because of my healing factor. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> That way, I mean, the uninitiated reader could be like, I know exactly what's happening. It wouldn't be right. completely lost. They they couldn't just tell that he has claws <laughs> because he's using his claws. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, anyways, so uh, they're all mad, and Peter thought that this workout would make him feel better, but it has not. And Wolverine knows what he means. Genie is special to everybody. In the next few hours, they're going to really tell a lot about stuff because she's probably going to trash the X-Men again. She trashed us once. She'll probably do it again. But that don't mean we give up. 
Nope. Meanwhile, in Annandale, Annandale on Hudson, New York. I don't know where that is. Do you? Annandale? Sure. No. Doesn't everybody? Annandale on Hudson. Okay. Must be a place. Apparently, it's northwest of uh, Westchester. Yeah. According to this, 50 miles northwest of the X-Men's mansion. Dark Phoenix descends down upon a little college hamlet that turns out to be her parents' house. She returns as Special Font Dark Phoenix. <gasps> Evil. She hangs out outside, creepily looking inside, until she decides to walk in the dark house. She's just rummaging through some things. Now, her... Back in the day, did the letterist have to, like, get out the quill and... <laughs> Really, like, letter this Dark Phoenix font? I'm guessing so, because if you look at it really closely, it's not perfectly even. This letter should get an award. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they weren't using computer typesetting back then. Or at least a call-out. Who was the letterist again? Tom Orzachowski. Good on you, Tom Orzachowski. She enters her house, and she starts sneaking around. She's doing some more thinking as she does. This is Jean Grey's home, not Dark Phoenix's. Jean Grey is a gentle, loving woman who cared so much for those that loved her that that she loved that she defied death itself to save them. Phoenix is a destroyer of worlds who cares only for herself. Yet Jean Grey is Dark Phoenix. She's so confused. Dr. Grey, I think he's a doctor. Well, Daddy Grey, he comes down the stairs and he's like, who's there? Dark Phoenix responds. Would you believe the Wicked Witch of the West? And he's like, oh, Gene, it can't be. Why would you say that weird cryptic evil thing? So glad to see you. Nice outfit. Yeah. Why do you look evil? Well, she run, he runs up and gives her a big hug, and, she, and she's like, oh, no, please no. Her telepathic power is so sensitive that she can't block out any of his thoughts. He is an open book to him or to her. Nothing is a secret. Nothing's sacred anymore. She instantly... I what he's thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter, though, because, like, it could be anything. It could be, like, the crush he had uh, in fourth grade or fifth grade or the one time he shoplifted. All these things are... Things that Phoenix now knows, and maybe she thinks less of him as a man. Elaine, Sarah, come downstairs. Look who's here. Hi, little sister. Long time no see. Wow, Mom wasn't kidding. Gene, you have changed. Elaine is the mom, and Sarah is the sister. That I know. I just can't yes. remember what Papa is named. It says that in the next panel. Does it? It's the same with Mom and Sarah, too. Ah. I can't help reading their minds. Yeah. And so as they're talking, Sarah's like, that costume, it's true. Then what mom told me, you're some kind of superhero. <laughs> you looked thin, Gene. Are you eating enough? Gene. Just ate a son, mom. Leave me alone. <laughs> I feel bloated after that son. She uh, thinks to herself, Dark Phoenix that is, that she should never have came here. She can read everybody's thoughts, her mom's love for her, the concern, but beneath all of that, on a primal level, buried so deeply, she probably isn't even aware that the feeling exists. Her mom is scared of her. Dad's worried about me, but he's as edgy as mom. And Sarah's terrified. She has two kids. She knows now that I'm a mutant. She's wondering if they're mutants too, if they'll turn out like me. Oh, what's so wrong with that? I am Dark Phoenix. I am power incarnate. I hold the fate of hands and universe in my hands. And I'm still thinking all this. 
She can't help herself. She doesn't want to anymore. She's reacting to their thoughts and not their words. So she's clearly not in control and says, you fear me, all of you, with good reason. What I do to this plant? She turns the plant into some crystals. I can easily do to you. And that's when Dad turns into Charlie Brown. Good grief. <laughs> and then he says that he, you, who are you? Uh, we don't want you here. I cast you out. You're not mine. I deny you. So that came out of left field. Well, it's, it's, I mean, the whole thing's out of left field. She's the one who freaked out. And Yeah, but, I mean, he's, he's so quick to be like, you're the devil. Get out of my house. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but he doesn't think it's his daughter is, is the idea. Oh, you think so? Well, I, I, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. I, it's not written that way, I guess, but... That's that's the way that I interpreted it, because that made more sense to me. Okay. I just got that. He's like, oh, your power is scary, and now I don't want you in my house. Get out of here. I cast you out. You're not part of my Yeah, house. that's how it's written, but that's yeah. stupid. <laughs> well, it is, so I'm not exactly sure what he had intended here. But anyways, uh, before Jean can destroy them and everybody else, she flies away. But she notes on her way out that the pea soup fog that has somehow appeared is probably the work of the weather witch named Storm. When did they start calling Storm a weather witch? Because it's been like every issue for the past five issues. Yeah, and it'll keep going. (laughs) Was it Sebastian Shaw who started this? I don't know. Or did he, it happen before that? I have no idea. It's the first time I noticed it. Probably should have kept track of that. Because I think since nobody can call her a bitch or anything, they're like, let's just go with Weather Witch. <laughs> so, anyways. Surprise, Liebchen. I'm sorry. Truly sorry. Things must turn out this way. But as the saying goes, it's for your own good. Nightcrawler applies the headband that Beast was working on earlier to Dark Phoenix's forehead. He bams in for some reason does not bamf out. She rolls him off of her and he goes flying into Beast. Whoops. <laughs> Relax your body, Nightcrawler. I'll catch you. I hope that mind scrambler of yours works. Otherwise... And then Dark Phoenix goes, Arg! You were saying, Fuzzy? That scream, it's hurting her. My mind is on fire, can't concentrate, can't use psi powers. Colossus grabs her feet in an attempt to bring her down to, I guess, Earth or capture her or whatever. But Jean, even though her mind is scrambled, is able to... I don't know, throw him out of the way, essentially. Yeah, well, he grabs her foot and she picks him up with the strength of her foot and kind of chucks him. Yeah, so she's she's, pretty neat, actually. She hasn't lost any of her strength. Storm conjures up some weather. (laughs) It's completely (laughs) ineffective. Uh, Phoenix flies up and says, You're closer to me than my own sister, yet I won't hesitate to strike you down. In the name of the love we share, let us help you. In the name of the love we shared, Aurora, I will weep over your grave. And so she shoots Storm down towards the ground. Beast attempts to uh, capture her. Storm, I guess we don't see what happens to her, so maybe she lands in a soft uh, nearby bed of thistles. Or or she's dead, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) Beast grabs her and thinks to himself, we're running out of time. My scrambler diadem's glowing. Jean's fighting his effect, drawing more and more raw power. She's burning it out. That's when Wolverine comes in. The man, the only man who can do what needs to be done and says, 
Hold her off balance for a moment longer, bub, and I'll settle this little fracas the only way it can be settled. Grabs her from Beast, who shouts, Wolverine, what are you doing? And thinks to himself, everyone else is holding back. They keep thinking a dark phoenix is genie. They're trying to capture her without hurting her any more than they have to, but that won't work. Even with Beast's Framistat chopping her power. Framistat. <laughs> <laughs> She's still too strong for us and getting stronger all the time. I got no choice. I got to end this now permanently. Forgive me, darling. Do it, Wolverine. Strike while the human part of me is still in control. Finish me with your razor adamantium-laced <laughs> claws. I beg you. I don't want to hurt you. And then she hurts him. For an instant, I er, for an instant, Jean was back. I couldn't. <laughs> so and she overloaded. She has overloaded the scrambler, and and Dark Phoenix is back. That's a you know that's a good Wolverine moment. It's, mm-hmm. He goes in for the kill, but he can't kill. Is she shows a little Jean side, and it's like I can't do it. I just can't do it. Yeah, no, I I like it a lot. At this point, uh, Jean says uh, the ploy has failed, and she basically telekinetically holds the X-Men in place, all uh, except for Cyclops. But that's not before Colossus doesn't try to reason with her. Well, Cyclops hasn't shown up yet. Yeah, yeah. Hear me, remember you were what you meant to us and we to you. I... Hush, Colossus, your appeal is here, heard and denied. Any last thoughts, little brother, before final sentence is passed? So she is going to kill these X-Men. Stop it, Jean. Cyclops! I was wondering when you'd turn up! (laughs) She wants him to fight. Cyclops just came to talk. I won't listen! Cyclops tries to reason with her on an emotional level, saying, just kill me. I can't stop you. He won't even try. Be true to your malefic, I don't know what that means, destiny, Phoenix. Kill me, if you can. But if you can't, then ask yourself why. You're a dark phoenix, power incarnate. No force in existence can stand against you. The X-Men have defied you, fought you, yet we live. Why is that? You're not worth killing. Yeah, that's, that's one answer. I'll, I'll give you that, but there's another. True, you're a dark phoenix, but you're also still Jean Grey. No matter how hard you try, you can't exercise that part of yourself. It's too fundamental. You can't kill us because you love us, and we love you. And it's order time. (laughs) Yeah. There's a little spaceship or something that's flying above uh, Jean's head. Jean's got her uh, eyeballs back. Oh, yep. Yep. Uh, So we're showing that Cyclops is getting through to her. But she still is fighting off that human side by saying that Dark Phoenix knows nothing of love. For the love of the X-Men, you sacrificed your life. For love of me, you resurrected yourself. That's pretty presumptuous of me, but I think that's what happened. (laughs) For love of the whole universe, you almost died a second time to save it. Know nothing of love? Gene, you are love. Oh, man. Your existence, your very creation, springs from love. From the noblest emotions a human can attain. And now, maybe, you want to deny that, to deny yourself? Oh, darling. Yes, no, I hunger, Scott, for joy, a rapture beyond all comprehension. That need is a part of me, too. It consumes me. And in the background, there is the strange shadow of what looks like a winged wheelchair guy. Oh, I didn't even catch that first time around, but yeah, there is. 
It is not a winged wheelchair guy. It's two people. <laughs> it, well, you don't even see the sec the winged person for a while. But there's one jerky guy in a wheelchair who decides to ruin this moment. <laughs> it's all working pretty well. And then somebody has to backstab somebody in the back with a side blast. Yep. She gets blasted. Well, you distracted her. I was able to approach and mind blast Phoenix. I I had no alternative because I wasn't paying attention to what was happening. And I'm a dick. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know why I came back from space. I supposedly knew something about this Phoenix Force, but have been completely ineffective since I returned. But you hurt our mentor, my love, away with you. She blasts Cyclops away, and now she's getting ready to blast the professor. And at this point, I'm like, yeah, just take that old man out. He's crazy. <laughs> he, he ruined everything. He did. He really, really did. So he blasts, or she blasts him off the wheelchair, and he says that he, that he is in part responsible for what has happened, and he's come here, though it may cost his life. He will put it right. He's like, back in X-Men issues one through five, I saved the day like every time, and I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> one through five. It was more like one through 25. It's <laughs> like, why, Professor? You sound almost guilty. Well, you should. You unleashed my latent telepathic ability. Oh. So once her latent telepathic ability was unleashed, all of these other motions were set into uh, a chain of events that created first Phoenix and then Dark Phoenix. Isn't that um, interesting how they re they kind of retconned the professor just kind of loaning his power to Gene? Oh, yeah. <laughs> unleashing his latent telepathic ability. Well, we always commented that the lending of his powers was pretty stupid. <laughs> Here you go. Here's a little part of my power. This makes much more sense. But, yeah, they're not even, they're not even addressing that lent thing. Well, yeah. Good. <laughs> well, what I meant by lend was uh, unlock your latent uh, potential. Yeah. I just didn't think you'd understand what that meant back then. So I convinced you that I lent you some of my power. <laughs> I hate you, you stupid old man. Zap, he's dead. Behold your creator, Charles Xavier. Oh, your creation, not your creator. <laughs> that would be really different. <laughs> I am what was, what was, what will be the Black Angel, Chaos Bringer. I am power. Oh, where'd Mag that line from Magneto. I was going to say, where did Magneto come from? <laughs> and is she changing her name from Dark Phoenix to Chaos Bringer? Yes, she is now uh, Black Queen, Black Angel, Dark Phoenix, Phoenix, Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, Chaos Bringer, also known as Power. Wow. That's quite a quite a name. Well, power without restraint or knowledge or wisdom or age without maturity, passion without love uh, is bad, I guess, is what the professor's trying to say here. So he's going to fight her, and he you will win. You might say with great power comes, I don't know, great responsibility. No, that's, that's, not, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> we get another pink phoenix. Lots of pink phoenixes in this issue. Yeah, maybe, maybe dark phoenix is pink phoenix, whereas regular phoenix is yellow phoenix. I don't know. I must. I will win. Will you? And we get our first Psy War. Psy War. Didn't we have a Psy War before, though? Well, we had a Psy Duel. That was in Classic X-Men, so that doesn't count. It's a death duel between the strongest mutant minds on Earth. The struggle is epic. It's waged simultaneously on all of the infinite planes of existence. 
and it's it's really swirly. This is where we cut to the rest of the Marvel universe, and they Doctor Strange is like, "Hey, what's going on?" But <laughs> they don't do that this issue because they did it last issue. What does this mean for Doctor Strange? <laughs> um, it's uh, not long ago for Jean, a lifetime ago, Phoenix bound a rogue neutron galaxy within a stasis field of living anti-energy. Preventing that ultimate black hole from destroying. Now much the same. Charles Xavier seeks to bind Dark Phoenix once more within an unbreachable network of psionic circuit breakers. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> He's locking Dark Phoenix away in Jean's mind. That doesn't seem safe. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, but I guess it works because she collapses. Her Dark Phoenix costume is gone. And it is as we suspected. She's been naked this whole time. <laughs> she's got no clothes on. Would have lost, but I sense Jean fighting her phoenix self, helping me. Bless you, child. I am so proud of you. Uh, I think the professor removed the clothes. <laughs> yeah, they'll never know. Plus, way back in X-Men number three, I had a crush on her. Finally get to see her naked. <laughs> Cyclops runs up, picks up her naked body, and uh, does, he's not sure if she's alive or if she's phoenix or dark phoenix but it doesn't matter he'll love her just the same for better worse richer poorer sickness health till death to us part hi <laughs> hi yourself babe if i didn't know better i'd say those thoughts i just picked up sounded like a proposal they did didn't they what do you say red that's the worst way to propose to somebody mentally and with a joke but yes. Kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a marriage proposal. Um, she says yes. We get a long cinematic panel of uh, all of the X-Men. Sarah, Elaine, Papa. And Papa's like, here, put something on, daughter. This is really weird. <laughs> yeah. And even weirder is that Chris Claremont decided to make Jean address it by saying, oh, dear, I don't believe it. Dad is blushing. <laughs> and Angel, where did you come from, says Storm? This, eh, you know. <laughs> I was lurking in the bushes. It, it was my idea to have the professor zap Dark Phoenix, you know. <laughs> shoot her, shoot her in the back, I said. And parking my jet. <laughs> so Cyclops says that the, he can still hear Jean through the psionic rapport, not the psychic rapport, but the psionic rapport. It's both rapports. <laughs> it's whatever's convenient at the time. It's the rapport. It's whatever Tom or Jaszczowski feels like lettering. <laughs> Our psionic psychic rapport. We should change the name of our show to <laughs> The Danger Rapport. Oh, that'd be good. Uh, thanks to the professor, she's as cured as she'll ever be. Dr. Gray. He is Dr. Gray right there. Xavier, what the devil is going on here? I'll be happy to explain, Dr. Gray, but first could I trouble you for some tea? It's been a most strenuous night, and I don't explain things without tea. Move along. Again. Go just another little thing in the story where you're like, I hate this man. <laughs> yes, it looked like your daughter exploded for a minute, but before I tell you exactly what happened, I could use a touch of tea. <laughs> before anyone can move, however. Yeah. The X-Men uh, appear to be zapped away. Into Secret Wars, right? Yeah, this is uh, this is the prequel to Secret Wars. The Beyonder gets them here and... Makes them fight each other. Good heavens, that glow... Uh, John, they say his name. His oh. name's John Gray. Finally. <laughs> Where'd they go? They... they disappeared. I don't know what this means. I don't either. 
the X-Men seemed as surprised as we were. I, could, I guess I could tell by their faces as they were being disappeared. <laughs> some enemy, some supervillain has kidnapped him. We may never see them or Jean again. Next issue, the end of an epic, a 35-page masterwork, The Fate of the Phoenix. Huh. True that. I thought this was the final phase of the Phoenix. Well, this was just the final phase. Now we get the final fate. Oh, jeez. How long are they going to milk this story for? And then we'll get the final fizzazz. Fizzazz. <laughs> the final futzer of the phoenix. <laughs> All righty. Well, that, that, there you go. That was that. It's a great issue. That was another page turner in my book. Yes. It went by quickly because it was good. Yes. Despite all the picking on we may have done of it. That's what we do. That's why you listen to us. If you don't like it, you probably shouldn't listen to it. That's that's a fact. It doesn't mean we don't love it. It just means we're jerks. Big, fat jerks. So we got an email from uh, Dan Kagaris. We did. It's probably true. not pronouncing that correctly. Uh, I may not do this letter justice since we just got it like right before we started recording, but but I'll I'll give her a shot here. Uh, he was listening to the cast, um, and he's happy that we're on the Dark Phoenix saga, which is his favorite storyline. Uh, and he also says that he... Sorry. What? <laughs> For butchering it. It's almost over, and we've been ruining it this whole time, he says. <laughs> no. Uh, he says that we pointed out, I guess, in one of the episodes that Wolverine said, now it's my turn, and we said that that's uh, an iconic... Yeah, that's an iconic... Um, Pose. And he suddenly started yeah. noticing it all over the place in various comics he's read in particular. He noticed with Bishop, the new run of Uncanny X-Force, Kitty and Astonishing X-Men. Oh, yeah, it's 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 almost exactly that pose in Astonishing X-Men now that he says that of Kitty. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I knew what it was referencing when I saw it. I did not. I was just like, man, I know that iconic pose, but I just don't know where it's from. <laughs> but see, Astonishing X-Men is just filled with, uh, I don't know. Yeah, they do the whole Professor X is a jerk thing. Yeah, yeah, just tons of geek fodder stuff. When you discussed the Days of Future Past trailer, you mentioned Blink, so he lets us know that Blink has two characters. There's an Age of Apocalypse version and a regular version. The regular version is dead, but came back recently, of course. <laughs> so the one in Exiles was the Age of Apocalypse version. Uh, he talks about Dazzler and... How she's been in some recent issues of Uncanny X-Men and Wolverine and the X-Men. But it may not be who we thought it was. Yeah, it may not be. Uh, he thinks the whole dazzle people into a kind of hypnosis has been pretty much dropped. I think that was dropped like 15 years ago. No, actually, I shouldn't say that. I think... She was still using it, but she was more using little, like, light zappies out of her fingers. But every now and again, she would bring up little light bubbles to try to hypnotize somebody. He's also wondering if we had a favorite storyline. Um, Adam, do you Does have a favorite? Does it have to be in the X-Men? Uh, no, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> it might help Cause... keep it in perspective, but... <laughs> Um, cause I don't, I really don't know. I, this, this is, uh, like, like you said, we just got this, uh, letter just before we started recording. So it hasn't really, uh, had, had a time for me to really think about that. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, the storyline in GI Joe when, uh, Zartan disguises himself 
as Ripcord and, yeah. uh, and Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes uh, go to kill Zartan and they almost end up killing Ripcord and that was exciting. <laughs> I do recall that storyline, Adam. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say that my uh, my favorite X Men related storyline is probably when we'll, when all the X Men were sent through the Siege Perilous the first time, or I guess the only time I don't know. And Wolverine had to pretty much pick up the pieces. It seemed that at that time they were ushering out an era of like really quickly written stories. And I think Jim Lee started picking up the pace a little bit. I don't know if that's my favorite, but that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. Our favorites are probably just the ones that we encountered first. So my favorite would probably be like a Wolverine story. Uh, Probably, probably back when Wolverine was in Madripoor or something as Patch. I didn't actually like those. So those would not be mine. (laughs) Because it's such a great disguise. Uh, I did like the House of M story. He does mention that a little bit. Because uh, he, he also picks up on Bastion and Nimrod. Because remember, I was kind of wondering, like, whatever happened with Nimrod? Yeah, I was trying to tell you about that whole Nimrod on the bridge thing. Yeah. You didn't know what I was talking about. And we were talking about uh, Juggernaut as Colossus and all that jazz. Yeah, apparently. And apparently, at the end of Second Coming, Bastion, who is Nimrod plus Master Mold, I think from the future, okay. comes back. Uh, and there was a big battle on the bridge in Second Coming. Okay. I didn't read Second Coming, nor did I receive, read any of Messiah. So. I've read all three of these, but I don't remember them that well. Uh, Messiah Complex, Messiah War, and Second Coming. I followed the whole Hope Summers storyline through to its uh, conclusion, essentially. Really? Because it... she, does, she does reverse the House of M. It is it is still going, but I kind of don't follow it anymore. Okay. Because I, I read all about her in uh, Avengers versus X-Men, and nothing really seemed to happen. They were all like, we well, got to well, get by home. then, the story was kind of done. I mean, she, oh. she, she had reversed the House of M, and so it was all like there were five lights, and the five lights were the five new mutants, and that's where I kind of got tired of it. Okay. Well, there you go. <clears throat> and then uh, Cyclops says, no more Avengers. And the Avengers all die? You're right. Well, it doesn't happen, but... Yeah, I know. I don't know. I read some of that. I, I, it gets all confusing, and it's, it's it's not steeped in nostalgia for me. Well, the Messiah Complex, Messiah War, and Second Coming stuff, I thought that was all pretty good. Okay. Well, we'll um, I'll read that when we get to it on our podcast. Yeah, in 2054. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to have to. All right. Uh, I don't think we got any other letters or notes. Nope. Thank you, Dan, for the letter. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. If you would like to check us out, you can go to www.xmenpodcast.com. We've got all the episodes out there. You can comment on your favorite episode. You can subscribe from there, or you can go out to the uh, iTunes application, and you can type in uh, Danger Room under the podcast section. From there, you could leave us a five-star review. Uh, you could re- subscribe to us there as well. Uh, you can follow us at Danger Room Go, or you can join our Facebook page or like it, as the kids say. Actually, I, th- I heard that the kids are getting out of Facebook now, so I don't know. Are we on a dying platform, Adam? I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> oh, okay. Just our, <laughs> just our podcast. Uh, and that's a, a Danger Room podcast what is our facebook uh it's facebook.com slash danger room podcast thanks i I say that every week and this week i just totally spaced it (laughs) 
if uh, if there is a much hipper platform, you kids gotta let us know because we're fogies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're gonna be like, you guys got Instagram everything, and I'm gonna be like, Ugh, I don't know what that means. You got a instant Twitter book, <laughs> instant Twitter book, my live journal. <laughs> All right. Anyways, and then you could email us uh, at dangerroom at redcapproductions dot com, and uh, there, that's how you would get a hold of us. So I really liked uh, issue four of X Men when Jim Lee started writing it, and they first introduced Omega Red. Yeah, I really liked that uh, two parter. It's gonna take a while for us to get back to that, and I would like to read that, but I don't recall any of the original X Men series, not the original, the the second X Men series being. Anything that stood out to me at all? I don't know if it will live up to my memories of it, but I just remember it being super cool at the time. It was all Wolverine versus Omega Red. Omega Red was all, and there was like a basketball game. Yeah, I remember the basketball game. It was very showy. Everybody was drawn well. It was colored well. I think that was um, right about the time they changed paper. So like all the colors became richer and more expensive but but yes i remember it looking very nice but i couldn't tell you any stories that that happened i also really liked when larry hamill was writing wolverine i've never read any of those they're good i i really should read the wolverine series i haven't even read i've said this before I it's hit or miss for the most part there's like uh, i wouldn't recommend reading it i it, it was, it's it's so hit or miss that you would just it would be a slog through most of it. I haven't even read the Wolverine miniseries. That 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 will probably do. So, well, Wolverine versus or Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Haven't read the, that. I haven't read that either, but I've always intended to. I what, own it. I oh the the comics. I have the comics. Yeah, the actual comics. Yeah. I own the actual comics for the Wolverine four parter as well. I don't have those, but uh, all right. Well, we'll get to all of those in good time, but. Uh, that's Let, another good one, I guess. That that maybe that's my favorite. The Wolverine um, miniseries. Yeah. Hmm. I can't remember. And if I was to pick like my favorite comic storyline of all time ever, what about when Elf was with the X Men? I have that. I do too. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I don't know. If I could, Michigan Wolverine. I don't know if I could come up with my favorite. Well, with, with just your favorite story ever. Yeah. Couldn't pick it. Um. For me, I would have to say, I'm trying to th- maybe planetary. I'm uh, gonna go with planetary. I've not read planetary. Yeah, not there's nothing that I. I mean, uh, days of no, not uh, um, uh, God love man kills is a really good story. But, okay. Um, not read that. We will. We'll do it on this podcast. I don't think it's officially part of canon, but it it fits in in a nice place. Okay. Well, anyways, let's let's move on with classic X Men. Adam, what do you say? Classic X Men number forty-two, in fact, and uh, this one was December of nineteen eighty-nine, uh, mid-December, and it was published October twenty-fourth of nineteen eighty-nine. Interesting. I would have thought that this was published later because I didn't realize that they were revealing this part of the Cyclops, Mister Sinister origin in nineteen eighty-nine. No, I felt like it would have been later. But clearly I'm wrong. <clears throat> clearly. Because <laughs> I'm trying to even think like... I, hmm. All of this gets retconned anyway. It doesn't matter. You're right. It's, t- it's totally not even worth thinking about. 
so Cyclops, or I mean, sorry, Scott, this is a continued from last week. Uh, he's he's at an airfield and he's watching airplanes land and he knows all things about these airplanes and what kind of engines well, we, they we, are. We should mention that this is called When Dreams Are Dust <sighs> and that Chris Claremont is the writer and Mike Collins is the penciler. At the very least. I suppose. Okay. Joel Rubenstein's the anchor. Joe Rosen uh, is the letterer. Gregory Wright is the colorist. The cover is bad. That's all you need to know. It's not bad. It's just not great. Yeah. It features a poorly drawn dark phoenix standing over what looks like the dead body of uh, the professor, which essentially is exactly, well, not exactly, but almost opposite of what we saw uh, in the original comic book. The rest of the, the characters are is drawn nice. The professor is drawn nice, but everybody else kind of sucks. They're very shadowy. Uh, and the wheel from the wheelchair. that That's actually pretty well drawn, too. Yeah. yeah. It's a Steve Lytle cover. Uh, and the inside, we get like a we get a Steve Lytle pencil drawing of the professor with his mind smoking. And he's dropping a single tear. Yeah, I like this. This is a good inside front piece. Okay. Now, Cyclops is at the airfield, and he's really excited about airplanes. Whoa, man. He, so excited about airplanes. He knows all, all stuff about them. He's hanging out with Michelle Rodriguez, and she is totally a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> airplanes take off and land, and he's really excited about it. Uh, he hears the roar of a, I don't remember, a, a GEJ-79 turbojet. I don't know what this is. Yeah, he's at like an air show. So lots of planes are flying up and around, and... He's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then the Kool-Aid man jumps in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone looks at him sheepishly. Why do you got to ruin every wall, Kool-Aid man? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets a, they look up in the sky, Cyclops, or Scott, rather. There's a biplane, and it's doing loop-the-loops and other tricks. Lazy eights, head spins, flat spins. Is there anything he can't do? And his wife and says, "Rick, who is uh, dri driving the plane, Rick Bogart." And his wife, Mrs. Bogart, says, "Lots, actually." I wonder if Rick Bogart is a uh, is a homage to Humphrey Bogart's character Rick from Casablanca. I have no idea. I've never seen Casablanca. What? I know. Oh man! I feel like if I haven't seen it at this point in my life, like, what's the point? You should see it. Won't I just be bored? No. No? That's what makes it so good is that it's not boring. Oh, all right. It's one of the most uh one of the one of the best crafted stories uh and that's why it stood the test test of time. It's it's just a really well told story. All right, I'll check it out. You will not be bored. If you were bored, you're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. <clears throat> I'll check it out. That's what's it called again? Casa Casa what? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> With Huey Bogart? Yeah. <clears throat> Huey Louie and Dewey Bogart. The nurse woman or whatever her name was from last uh, issue, she's the one that took him to this air show and she's telling the other woman to keep it clean. Nurse short skirt. Yeah, something like that. The, the biplane lands, and he gets an invitation to go check out the cockpit, so he goes over there, and he's really excited until he sees two people in parachutes who are smoking, and he says, burning, they're burning, but really they're just skydivers with the little smoky foot thing that they do at air shows. Those are just smoke flares, so you can better see the maneuver their maneuvers as they descend. Yeah. 
wrong. And Scott freaks out. You're wrong. It's fire. My deadly eyes. And he runs away. <laughs> Let me go. I've got to get away. The fire. The canopy's burning. A Roman candle. I'm burning. And uh, Doctor, what's her face is embarrassed. I gotta go. I'm really sorry, Rick, Trisha. I thought we were past this. And Rick is like, canopy, fire, burning, Roman candle. I wonder. Wonder what? Um, he wonders. He is, seems very familiar to him for some reason. Yeah. And she runs the nurse. What's her face? She runs over to get Scott and comforts him, and he's scared and he's like mom Scott is tackling, tackling the ground mom where you been what's happening don't send us away please let us stay with you and dad look out they're shooting at us mom we're burning hold on to me Alex I'll protect you who the devil is Alex yeah he's all freaked out so she takes him back to the orphanage and Nate is there and Nate's like I told you don't say I didn't. I warned you he'd flip out if you took him to that stupid show. I stand corrected, Nate. The next time I'll know better. <laughs> Figure because you got a stupid diploma, you know it all. Tell me, doctor, if you're so good, heck, any good, period, how come you're working in a dump like this? And at this point, why isn't this woman like, shut up before I backhand you? She actually gets backhanded when she attempts to reach over to him. He he slaps her and runs away. Be careful, Doc. One fine night, I may decide to tell you what's wrong with me, that is. (laughs) Why I feel the need to lash out at people. And then the next day, she takes... uh, Does she take him back? Yeah, I guess she does. She takes Scott back to the airfield because I guess he... Wanted to go back, and she's flying around with uh, uh, Trisha. Mm-hmm. They're talking, and Rick and Scott are together talking. And uh, Rick is digging for some information, uh, kind of uh, surreptitiously. Uh, yeah, Mom, she grumbles something about it being sack hours with Mac Perks. Uh, Dad, he'd tell her it was the next thing, best thing to touching the stars. Suit him to a slot open for the high jump. NASA, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, He notices that Scott is not cold, even though it's very cold out. Yeah. You call this cold home. That's cold. Where's that? Where's what? Home. Nothing but orphanage, I guess. That's the only home I know. We know he's referring to Alaska. Do we know that? Well, I mean, not in canon, but at this, in 1989, we do. I'm a brain case. There's something majorly wrong with my head. That's how I lost my memories. That's why I've never been adapted. Damaged goods. Uh, somewhere along the line, they have a long conversation about his head, and some he needs these ruby quartz glasses to keep the headaches at bay. And boy, you two would make good parents. What do you think? So much for Professor X designing the ruby quartz glasses. <laughs> Yeah, well, whatever. The Rick guy, he's like, it all seems so familiar. Uh, the Phantom Divers are a frater- huge fraternity. 
Air Force, Navy, Marines, but Blackbird pilots, they're a very rare breed. Only a few select bases and Scott's familiarity with cold and arrows. The list is even further narrowed, especially since he said his dad had an application with NASA. So he's going to run down the lead and see if he has a family. He's a detective. And the nurse woman is like, everyone's tried, but nobody's been successful. But this guy's like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Oh boy, and but and not only am I going to do it, but I, we're going to adopt that kid. Absolutely. So they turn in their application, and the head guy, who was kind of a jerk to her, whatever her name is, last issue was like, "I don't this know." This page is unnecessary. Yeah, you've greatly overstated your bounds. You shouldn't be soliciting. I don't know adoptees. Scott overhears some of this. He, his face is up and down. Because they're not going to oppose the Bogart's application. They're going to let whatever happens happen. So Scott's happy about that. Yay! She does say something like, A person might almost get the impression, sir, that we're out to find families for every child but him. Whoa, that cuts deep. <laughs> Cuts like a knife. So Rick and Scott are back at the airfield again for some reason. And Scott gets all mad at him and says, oh, you just want to find out all about me and then dump me. Well, he thinks he wants to find out about his real parents and then dump him with his real parents, which you think Scott would be kind of excited about. But Scott's like, no, I want you to be my real parents. And he's like, well, that's what I'm going to do if I can't find your real parents. Then we'll be your real parents. Man, this is confusing. It's a, it's a page of <laughs> But why don't you spend Christmas with us? <gasps> Try and stop me, Dad. Aw. And that's when Dr. What's-Her-Face wakes up in a nightie. Uh, Dr. Hanover, apparently, and she's facing off with Mr. Sinister. Yeah. Is there for some reason. He's Nate, Adam. Is he? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He he is Nate. I don't know anything about Mister Sinister. I I thought Nate was like Nathan Summers or something. I there's that story is so convoluted. Um, but Mister Sinister, I believe Mister Sinister's real name is Nathan, and then somehow he's got a relation to Nathan Summers. I don't remember how. It'll be interesting for us to get down that road because it's very twisty and windy. You may call me Mister Sinister. And then the next day, it turns out that uh, Scott hasn't heard from the Bogarts in a while, and now Mrs. Hanover is giving him the cold shoulder, and we cut to a shot of the Bogarts being all dead and stuff. Don't forget that Nate's there, and he's like, Man, I knew this was going to happen. Told myself right from the start. They're going to end up hurting you. Worse than you've ever been hurting your whole life. And I was right. So, Gold star for you, okay? <laughs> It ain't my fault. And that's when, yes, Dr. Hanover is giving him the cold shoulder. I can't really tell what's happening in this last panel, but uh, these they, they're def the Bogarts are definitely dead. Yeah, they crashed, basically. It looks like there was a plane crash. Oh, okay. You think they're on the ground? Because when I first looked at this panel, it looked like a bunch of debris and them floating around in the clouds. Mm, no, I think it's the, the, the cause since they show the mountain, it's like a close-up of the mountain. And they just keep zooming into the mountain, so they're dead on the mountain. And you would think that that's where they would end the story, but no, they throw in uh, yet another page. Which is just awful. It is pretty bad. Uh, first of all, we've already established that Scott was the first one that was 
the the first X Men, and Jean was the last. Well, that that gets retconned. <laughs> this is actually pretty accurate with the retcon that was happening at that time. <laughs> <laughs> that the professor so, found Jean first, but kind of left her at home and worked with her privately. And then found Cyclops. Recall, like, in all of the uh, origin stories that we got with um, the X-Men, we never got a Jean Grey origin. Right. Anyways. Well, because her origin was the first issue, sort of. No, it wasn't, Adam. So that's why I said sort of. <laughs> <laughs> so he's thinking about how he's never going to leave. And the first chance he gets, he's going to leave. And then he notices something out in the distance. It's a girl and a guy in a wheelchair. And uh, they come closer to him, and then she turns into a phoenix and gets naked, and they have naked, untamed glory. Yeah, it's a little awkward since he's like 14 and she turns into a very adult, naked phoenix girl. It doesn't really make any sense. So Gene says, like, is it time? Is he a mutant like us? And the professor's like, I don't know, but it's not time for him yet. Scott thinks that this is all a daydream. Uh, and the professor's like, come on, Gene, let's leave this. And so her, her physical body leaves, but her Phoenix body embraces Scott. I don't know. It's really dumb. And then you get like a double. I say, Phoenix. what Phoenix body? What are we doing here? It doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, this fire doesn't make him afraid. It doesn't destroy. This is life in all its wild, untamed glory. And he knows that on the darkest, coldest night his soul will ever know, it will always be there to keep him warm. doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So I don't know if uh, Chris Claremont got to that last page and he's like, let's connect it to Phoenix. Or if like he's like, oh, this would be clever. Let's connect everything to Phoenix. So, bleh. did you do any uh, additional reading, Adam? I did. Uh, I read, well, we did the, we just did the August 1980 issue of X-Men. And so I also read the August 1980 issue of Avengers, since we're all caught up now. Uh, Avengers 198, which, uh, we are we are chronologically caught up. Yippee. Um, Beast and Wonder Man are having a night on the town, uh, and then the next morning, as they're kind of getting over their hangover, they see a giant red robot in the city, and uh, it turns out that the robot is Red Ronin, which was designed by Shield to battle Godzilla. Whoa! <laughs> so. Uh, it turns out one of the designer guys of uh, Red Ronin has uh, taken over uh, Red Ronin and is going to try to start World War III in order to stop the fear that is plaguing the country. And the Avengers try to stop him, but end up uh, not just knocking him unconscious. And Red Ronin starts charging into town to destroy. The plan was to destroy the Russian side first so that everybody would merge together to battle the single foe of Red Ronin. But instead, now Red Ronin's going to attack New York City, I believe it is. Uh, we learned that Jocasta can track Beast by his mutant energy, which is interesting. Mm. And uh, in the Miss Marvel story from last month, we learned that Miss Marvel has gone from three months pregnant to six months pregnant in the span of a day. Oh, man. So that's crazy. That's totally crazy. That's it. Oh. All right, then. That's what's happening in Avengers Land with Beast. Good old Beast. 
I wonder if Beast will make an appearance in next week's uh, episode. No, I uh, don't. He, he will. Avengers? No, of X-Men. <laughs> He'll be there. Yeah, yeah. We, we know he's there. If he wasn't, if he wasn't there, it would be very confusing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, until this Dark Phoenix thing concludes, the Danger Room is closed. It literally made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> but so that's it. Minutes. That's the closer. So... And I